Good evening. I'd like to thank the elders for the opportunity of being with you tonight, of speaking. I always am thankful and appreciative of such opportunity. I only hate it at this time. It's because Tony is out of the picture. I know we, I can speak for all of us, we all miss Tony being up here, and it just doesn't seem right without you up here, brother. We wish and pray for you a speedy recovery. You know, the story is told of two hunters who hired a pilot to fly them way up north to go elk hunting. And while they were up there, they were very successful during their hunt, so much so that they killed six big bucks. Well, it got the time for their time up there to be over. The pilot returned, as he told them he would, and the men began stowing their gear on the plane. Then they drug up those six bucks to put them on the plane. And the pilot said, no, 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 you can't. There's just so much weight I can put on this plane. i got room for your gear, I've got room for you, and I have room for four of those elk. You're going to leave two of the elk behind. Well, as you can imagine, this angered the hunters, and they began to argue with Pilot. Pilot said, no, 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 don't want to hear it. My plane, my rules. One of the hunters just happened to say, well, well, last year, we were up here last year, and we shot six elk as well. And when we were up here last year, that pilot let us put all six on board. And it was the same model plane that you've got there. Well, the pilot really couldn't argue with that. So very reluctantly, he agreed to let them put all six elk on. That plane taxied over the frozen ground, and he's pulling up on the control wheel, and he's trying to get that nose in the air. And that plane is just fighting that weight on there. And finally, after about 15 minutes of fighting it, those engines begin to sputter, and that plane crashes in the wilderness. Those two hunters climb out of that plane. They look at one another. One of them says, you have any idea where we're at? The other one says, yeah, we're about a mile from where we crashed last year. <laughs> you know, we're slow to learn as people. You would think once we make a mistake, we learn from it and then profit. But very often... We make that same mistake over and over again. We know that we have two of Jesus' apostles who made big mistakes, Judas and Peter. But they responded in very different ways. This evening we're going to look at uh, what Jesus told Peter and how Peter responded to what Jesus had to say. You know... Peter is such of an intriguing and interesting character for us to study. He is one of the Lord's closest friends, confidants, followers. He is part of that very inner circle of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And yet, having that close proximity to Christ did not guarantee him consistency of faith. Because look at him. One moment his faith is so high, he actually does step out of that boat and he actually does walk on water. But then 
we know he takes his eyes off the Lord and he begins to sink. One moment, he tells Jesus, Though all men leave you and forsake you, I'll never leave you, Lord. The next moment, he's denying he even knows who he is. Peter's faith has its ups and its downs. And I think that's one reason we're so drawn to Peter. Because he's a lot like us. We can understand what Peter is going through. Because in those moments when we admit it to ourselves, we struggle with our faith as well. Our scripture reading as read tonight is Luke 22, verses 31 through 34. Let's look at those words one more time. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. We're going to look at lessons we can learn from these short verses tonight. We're going to look at what the Lord is telling us about trials, about our testing, about those times we're sifted by Satan. We're going to look what Jesus does for us, and we're going to look what Jesus expects from us. We need to be reminded that Satan is a real enemy. That very name, Satan, means adversary. And we better believe and we better know that he is against us. He wants us to fail. He wants to bring us down. And in order to bring us down, we know that he will tempt us. He'll dangle sin right in front of us. And he'll want us to take that bait. Now there are some that say that Satan is not real. Even some who would profess Christ. Even some with our own brotherhood who would say Satan is not real. Is Satan real? As Steve brought out in his lesson this morning. Adam and Eve. Ask Adam and Eve if Satan was real. When All they did was succumb to one temptation, and it cost them paradise. Is Satan real? Ask Job how Satan tempted him and tormented him, trying to get him to leave his God. Is Satan real? Ask Jesus how he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Just because we do not see him, that does not mean that he is not working, that he is busy at work, and he's at work against us. We ought to know that he's at work against this congregation, and he wants each one of us to fail, and he wants this congregation to fail. Now, notice in our lesson text here that Jesus told Peter that Satan asked permission To sift you like wheat. Now, wheat is sifted 
when the grain is separated from the chaff, from the impurities. So Satan had asked that Peter would be separated from Jesus. That was his intent. That was his goal, to see how true Peter's faith was, to see if he could get him separated from Jesus. And the Lord is warning Peter on this occasion. The Lord says to him, you're about to be tested. Your faith is going to be challenged. You're going to get beat up. You're going to get tossed around spiritually. And you're going to be seriously damaged. And we know that did happen to Peter. But what we need to understand the same thing happens to us when Satan sifts us. It's a trying time because Peter and the apostles, they're not the only ones that Satan wants to get a hold of. He has the world. What he lacks is those that hold faith in God. And he wants them. And he's out to get us. He's out to cause us pain. See, what he wants us to do, he wants you to give up. He wants you to lose your faith. And in order to achieve that, we need to understand, he knows what buttons to push for each one of us. He knows what strings to pull. He knows what gets us mad. He knows what our weaknesses are. And all this He knows, He uses against us. Now it's interesting. When Peter was told by Jesus that I that Satan wanted to sift you, that you in that particular sentence is plural. So, what Jesus is, is saying, uh, though Peter gets the warning, Jesus is telling all the apostles that they are all at risk. Because if you remember, before this conversation took place, you remember what the apostles were doing? They were arguing among themselves who was the greatest. We see that Satan then had already been at work on these apostles. And if you go up to verse 3, you're going to see he's already been successful with one of them. For we're told that Satan entered into Judas. We know his weakness was money. And it would seem on this occasion that the other apostles were struggling with their pride. And each of us East of us. We've got our own weakness. Those areas which we're not strong in. Those areas where we can be challenged. Those areas where we struggle. And Satan knows what they are. So when it comes to spiritually being challenged, we need to be aware that Satan is out there. Satan knows we're vulnerable and that we're at risk. But we're told a wonderful thing right here. That Satan may know what our weaknesses are. He may use them against us. 
But Jesus sees this. Jesus knows when we're being tried and tested. And look what He says that He does for us. He says when we're tested, Jesus pleads our case. Now, Satan may want to sift us, and He does. But Jesus wants to help us. And Jesus says to Peter here that I have prayed for you. Now that you in this sentence is singular. So Jesus told the apostles and Peter, if I can paraphrase here, he says, Satan wants to sift all of you. But I prayed for you personally, Peter. I prayed for you. And it's important when we pray for one another. You know, when we announce the sick, usually the prayer that follows, those that were announced as sick, they're prayed for. They're prayed for collectively, and sometimes they're prayed for individually. And that's a good thing. We're praying for their physical health. But what we lack sometimes is praying for their spiritual health. We need to think about doing that more often as well. Because Jesus told Peter here, he said, I have prayed for you. That's in the past tense. It's something he's already done. I've already prayed for you. You know, it's one thing for somebody to say, Ricky, I'm going to be praying for you this week. Now, that's a good thing. But it's even better thing somebody to tell you, Stanley, I prayed for you last week. See, one's a promise. The other one's something that's already been done. Now, Jesus says here that I have prayed for you, Peter. Well, what did he pray? He prayed that his faith would not fail him. It's interesting to note that he did not pray that Simon would not be sifted. He didn't say he prayed that Simon would not sin. He says, I prayed that your faith would not fail you, that your faith would stay intact, that your faith would not leave you. And I I think that's a wonderful lesson we need to learn. Because I said we're real good at praying for one another when it comes to our physical challenges. But I think we need to be more aware and pray for the congregation as a whole and individuals when they're challenged spiritually. We need to pray for one another's spiritual health as well. Because we are as weak in that area, if not more so, than we are in our physical health. On this occasion, the Lord is interceding on Peter's behalf. The Lord is going to God the Father on behalf of Peter. You know, as an example, when we have a job interview to go to, one of the first things that we do is we get our references together. Because it's one thing when we sit across from that desk from our prospective employer And we tell them what a great employee we are. What a great worker we are. That's one thing. But it means so much more when it comes from someone else. Well, here Jesus is saying to God the Father, I know Peter. 
and Peter needs your help. He is serving as Peter's reference, if you will. John has told us that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we learn that Jesus is our advocate. Now that term literally means lawyer. So what Jesus does, when we go to God our Father in prayer, Jesus is our go-between in those prayers. He pleads our case for us before the throne of God. When we sin, when we face a spiritual challenge, when we're tried, when we're tested, when we're being sifted by Satan, then Jesus pleads our case with our Heavenly Father. We're told in Hebrews, the seventh chapter, and in verse 25, wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Even today then, Jesus continues to serve as our intercessor, our go-between. He continues to take our struggles to God. Isn't that a good thing? Doesn't that bring you comfort, knowing that the very Son of God is your advocate, your intercessor, And he knows what you're going through and he takes that before the throne of God on our behalf. Now, Jesus tells Peter on this occasion, he says he is confident that Peter would turn around. So he's going to be sifted by Satan. He's going to go through this spiritual trial. He's going to come out damaged. But Jesus said, I'm confident that you'll come back to God and you'll use your experience to strengthen and to help others. See, failure does not need to be final. Peter sins. We know what he does. Three times he will deny knowing Christ when confronted with being with him. We know that after that third denial, just as Jesus said, that rooster will crow. We also know that at that time, Peter looked up. Remember what he saw? Jesus was looking right at him. The scripture tells us after this that Peter went out and wept bitterly. I'm sure he felt awful. I'm sure he was ashamed. I'm sure he felt remorse. I'm sure he felt such guilt at what he did. But remember what happens. He turns his life around. He comes back to God. And it's interesting to note there's a little change in Peter after this. Because before this, he was that brash, bold, outspoken individual. But it seems after this, his life begins to take a little change. He seems to be humbled by this experience. And later, after you read in the book of Acts of Peter, he will become one of the most dominant characters in the New Testament church. In fact, we know that in Acts 2, he'll stand up on the day of Pentecost 
And as he delivers that first gospel sermon, it is one of the most powerful sermons ever recorded. So much so that he touches the hearts of 3,000 people, their hearts being pricked so that they obey the gospel on that day. They turn back to God just as Peter had done. We read in Acts, the fourth chapter, where Peter will stand before the Sanhedrin, that Jewish high council, and this time there is no fear in Peter. Peter will serve as an elder, and he will serve as an apostle to the New Testament church. And he will write two books of the New Testament that bear his name. See, some people sin, they fail, and they give up. Peter didn't. There was no quit in him. He learned from his failure. And he used what he learned for the Lord. He used it to help and strengthen others who were going through those same things that he had to encounter. It's interesting to note that if you look at Peter's later writings, he would write not as that outspoken, brash disciple of Christ, but he would write as one who had been sifted by Satan. He would write as one who had been prayed for by Jesus that his faith would not fail. He would write as one who had been urged by Christ to use what you had learned to help others. Let me read you what he wrote in 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, verses 6 through 11. He said, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom? He may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you think Peter learned that lesson? Oh, yeah, he did. And do you know what the great news is this evening? That God will do for us exactly the same thing that he did for Peter. But first... We must give ourselves to God. We must turn to Him. And we must accept Him. And we must accept His will. And we must obey it. The question tonight, have you obeyed the will of God? If you're here tonight and you have realized that your life is not right with God, that you've never obeyed the gospel, and you realize that you need to, having believed His word, having repented of your sins, the invitation will be extended in just one moment. Won't you come forward to confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of your sins and begin your Christian walk of faith? 
or if there be those in attendance tonight who have one time named the name of Christ but now realize that they have left him and have not been faithful. If you need to be restored, the invitation extended unto you. Whatever you need, if we can help, won't you come as we stand and sing?